This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Built by Bama Online podcast presents T-Watts and TR for a Thursday, March the 26th, 2020. Travis Ryer. Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined alongside site publisher Tim Watts, who together are going to try to help you move through this quarantine era that we're living in right now. And as we do that, Tim, give us a little update. How's that going around Casa de Watts? Uh, everybody hanging in there pretty good to this point? Yeah, it is. We, uh, you know, we did a lot of eating out, anticipating they were shutting the stores, which they never shut. So at this point, we're <laughs> we're trying to eat in a little bit. I think we over overdid the eating out, and uh, but a lot of lot of lot of kids. Sort of, you know, to me, it's sort of like, and you'll you'll get this too. It's sort of like a um, summer vacation. You know, yeah. the weather's. Thank goodness, the weather's been good. The kids get up. I see them at breakfast. I work. They come in around lunch. Every now and then, they want to watch a show. At night they pile in the room. We watch a movie. Watched a lot of a lot of movies lately. Been a lot better movies than I thought. We watched Little Women, the latest adaption that was really good, and a movie called Spies in Disguise, which was another really good one. Will animated with Will Smith. So a lot of quality time. It does feel like a spring break, and we sort of sort of treated it like that because this would have been our spring break. We'd have been at the beach with a uh, for a baseball tournament. So we sort of just yeah, cut it loose. How about how about you guys? Yeah, you know, all I got to know is, have you watched Tiger King yet on yeah. Netflix? I mean, that's it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen on television in any form. It's I, it's right there. I want to watch it. I'm it's I'm right in the middle of this huge okay. epic Vietnam Ken Burns Netflix a documentary, oh, yeah. which is amazing. Um, so I do want to give Tiger King all my attention. So. Um, definitely <laughs> start that this weekend. I've heard so much. I can't possibly, I've tried not to read about it. I haven't seen a preview. I've only, when I see people say you got to watch it, I stop. So the insanity has got to be there. Cause I see it's everywhere. So yes, it's, it's, like, coming, up, it's coming up this it, weekend. It, it's like eastbound and down meets Quentin Tarantino meets Oliver Stone meets faces of death. It's just, you it's, had me uh, at had me at meats. You had me right out. Of, you had me right out of the gate. Everything, everything after meats. I had more meats than Arby's right oh in that God. sequence scene, didn't I? Where's uh, the beat? Had all the meats. Yes, all it's, the every beat. That yes, that uh, that description. I'll definitely be watching it. Yeah, and there are stretches within it where you certainly feel like uh, some of the individuals involved uh, definitely have their Arby's hats. Well, what's hilarious? On. I asked the kids what they've been watching. This week, and uh, my my dumb one, 17-year-old athlete, he said Joe Exotica. Joe, Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic. Is that a character on the show or something? Yeah, it's Joe Exotic. Absolutely. Okay, oh, Jesse. you'll you'll know who Joe Exotic is real well, soon. He kept here, saying he's watching Joe Exotic and eventually hit me. I was like, what kind of show is called Joe Exotic? Because I was thinking, 
You know, what I'm are not going to spoil anything for you. Well, but he yes. Did, yes, he's they watched it and they ran through it in a day and a half. So me too. It yeah. must have been it must have been pretty daggone good. It, once it gets you, it's got you, and then you can't forget what you just saw. So just prepare yourself, Tim. Uh, yeah, it's been sort of. It's been a little bit of both around uh, our place. You know, we had sort of the unexpected visit from the oldest daughter once her basketball season was abruptly uh, canceled there in the conference mm-hmm. tournament rounds. And so she was with us. But, you know, I think she I think for her, the combination of things kind of coming together, she really wanted to get back to what at least as close to her sense of normalcy. So she made her way back out to Honolulu. Uh, We've got the oldest out in Montana. He's been serving a two week quarantine, man. It's just been nuts. And, and, and in all seriousness, we, we hope each and every one of you that listen to the podcast and join us there at BamaOnline.com are getting through this situation as safely and uh, as healthy uh, as you possibly can, but certainly a time where we're trying to stay occupied, Tim. And uh, with that, today should have been opening day for Major League Baseball. And I know you're a big baseball fan. I'm probably not to the level that you are. I enjoy baseball. Um, do you miss opening day? Do you miss the games getting cranked up today uh, because you just simply love it as a sport? Or is it for me, I think it's more nostalgia. You know, I, I don't I don't really ever sit down on opening day and watch a lot of the games, but I still like what opening day typically means for our society. I guess that's what I'm going to miss more than yeah. the games themselves. I like the consistency. And, you know, if you played Little League Baseball when I played, it was a production like the, you know, the Bad News Bears where we'd get in somebody back of somebody's El Camino yeah. And we had the little parade, and we marched out, and every team was there. Now, my son's teams never did that. They had an opening day. You know, they had an opening day, but it wasn't like ours because it really was sort of like the Bad News Bears. We had everybody out there, ugly socks didn't fit. Everybody, hey, team photo, everybody get, hey, pass that bat. I need it for the team photo. (laughs) You know, these kids have their own monogrammed, you know, their own personalized uh, hats, bats, gloves, and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I love the first day, and today's a beautiful day in Alabama, so it would have been awesome yeah. to light a cigar, sit on the back porch, and just sort of watch at baseball. You know what I mean? To watch, you know, me and you growing up, we had characters. It's not as much now, but we had like Harry Carey. You know, right. we had guys, um, you know, Ben Scully, who's still around. We had guys who were just, just, just epitomize what baseball sort of was going to mean to us going down the road. So yeah, today's a big day. I, it's it. Uh, I miss wasn't it. it. Wasn't it always Cincinnati pretty much where you would have that first game on opening day. That's the way I remember it before they took it pretty much global international where you'd have games in Japan here in the, in recent years to kind of get things going or, you know, abroad in general. Uh, it always seemed like it was Cincinnati, you know, where they would have that early game on opening day and uh, kind of get things going. And, and look, I can't tell you, Tim, the official first day of spring, but I know opening day in Major League Baseball, that's that's essentially what we're talking about here. Uh, and it it feels like we're not not doing it. We're not transitioning into spring because of Major League Baseball opening day being pushed back. It's happened before. I think that's something we don't 
sort of recollect or, or remember either. They've had previous delays with the season 2003, 1990, there was a lockout. Go back to 1994, there was a strike. 72, there was a strike. So this isn't unprecedented, but this is still very much unprecedented times. I mean, the business of baseball, for the most part, has prevented the start in years past. This is something just just entirely different. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's uh, I probably miss it more in my mind, you know, than I actually miss it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure right now I'm thinking every year I got a tradition, back porch, cigar, and all that stuff. I think that's probably not the case, but I do go out, I do watch, I do watch uh, baseball on opening day. And today of all days, you know, I miss it because there's nothing going on. If I watch one more friggin' Super Bowl that I forgot, I'm gonna lose my mind. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm watching one last night that like it's next year's Super Bowl. I don't remember Mike Holgram and the Seahawks, Holgram co- coaching yeah. against the Steelers when Ben. Sean Alexander. Yeah, yeah. baby. Yeah, that's baby fat Ben before real fat Ben. And dude, <laughs> barbaric, I, I, barbaric fat Ben. It took, it took me a quarter to figure out like what was going on. Like this game really play? Is this like a hypothetical? So, I mean, we watched a lot of. Watch the lot a of simulation games. on yes. Madden. Is this what's <laughs> going to happen next year? I need to get my bookie on the phone. So, everybody's wearing the friggin' neck rolls. Even just like not 2004, everybody had the big pads. It looked like Kramer forearm pads. Yeah. I I want to watch the football season where they still had the neck rolls and the big pads, and then Absolutely. they transition to no knee pads, thigh pads, and tiny little shoulder pads. Like that are in your wife's uh, dress. Absolutely. Um, you transition people. Your prom date in '87 had those uh, bigger shoulder pads. In '87, <laughs> I had shoulder pads in mine. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, they had the guys who were out there with Cavaricis and oh my bolos, gosh, bolos yeah. and shoulder pads. Yeah. See, I can't, I can't bang on Joe Exotic too much when I recollect those days uh the bugle well, boy Joe Zodic is a bolo guy because that would be a that would be a in the plus column if he is he's he's a whole nother level of everything tim you, you'll you'll figure that out real quick but in all you know when we talk about the nfl it has been a nice outlet right here of late and specifically news about the quarterback position in the national football league i know that's something we've tracked with great interest uh not just because of guys finding new homes like Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers and Nick Foles. Um, but guys who are still out there looking for places to play, Tim. Yeah, I mean, you got Cam Newton, who obviously is still a talented guy, have to get healthy. Jameis Winston's the interesting one. I mean, he's still a relatively young guy. What is he, 27, 28 maybe? Yeah. Um, obviously talented through 30 touchdowns. Obviously, you know, he's like that scene in Bull Durham, you know, you know, 17 walks, new league record, 17 strikeouts, Nuke new league Lush. record. That's famous. Yeah, you know, yeah, Nuke LeWinston. But um, I watched. I got bored the other night, and I watched. There's a reel of all of his interceptions, and I was amazed at, like, like he had five, four, five, six that were just into the quarter, into the half. I mean, into the half, into the game interceptions that don't really count. But he had some that, I mean, there was nobody close to where he should have been throwing the football. So maybe – Maybe he does need glasses. Maybe that'll help him. But he's a talented guy. We've seen him, you know, always awkward, you know, but he's, you know, national championship. You know, he's he's been a successful pro and only at 27 years old. 
Patriots need a quarterback. The Chargers possibly need a quarterback. Um, do a team like the Saints, you know, sign them like sign one of them like they did Bridgewater. I mean, there's just a ton of ton of you know ton of options still out there right now. It seems like teams aren't quite sure what to do with Jameis and Cam for differing reasons, right? With with Jameis, it's the as you just outlined, it's the the highly publicized turnover issues that he's had. Um, and, and you said you referred to maybe LASIK, maybe some vision correction helping him there. Whereas with Cam, it's about his health um, for, for a couple of different reasons. But yeah, it's hard to imagine, man, with this shortage of quarterbacks around the National Football League that, especially Cam, you know, don't you have to kick the tires on Cam pretty seriously if you're a team, one of these many teams out there that still need a starting quarterback? Uh, Jameis, I could see maybe having to sort of downgrade to backup status, at least for the time being. But doesn't Cam have to get a good look from a team that needs a starting quarterback? You know, I think they both will get a good look. But I, I'm a little bit on the other side. I think I'm more willing to give a chance to Jameis than I am Cam. I mean, huh. Cam's... Cam, I think Cam's talented. Dude, I think the guy's taken a lot of hits to the head yeah. with the he's played. Um, that's not a knock or a joke or anything. That guy has ran the football a lot, and he's taken some of the most vicious hits that weren't flagged I've ever seen. Um, I think it's mainly because he's such a big guy, and they felt he's inflicting the pain. But he's taken a lot of licks to the head. Uh, you know, his behavior was very erratic, you know, even, you know, even the last year or two. So – a uh, long way to go with his injury history. Jamison's relatively healthy, 27 years old, and yes, he's a knucklehead for sure. Um, but you know, like I said, his his throws, he's still got a big arm. He's still got a good arm. He's still got the tools there. It would have been interesting to see him work under Arians one more year. But you know, a guy at that age, old school, you know, he's like, yeah, we're good. Um, you know, he. So there are guys. I mean. You got to sort of wonder what the Patriots could do with a guy like Jameis Winston. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of a low risk signing when you think about it. it. Could be, you know, very high reward though. Really could, and with Cam, it's it's not just the foot uh, that, that's the most recent issue. There, you know, there's been shoulder issues in the past, so you do wonder about the mileage that Cam has accumulated in a multitude of ways uh, physically throughout his. Not only his NFL career, you can go back to even though it was just one year at Auburn, uh, he was he was a couple of different quarterbacks in one with an emphasis certainly on the run game. He was kind of like Derrick Henry at quarterback back in 2010. Yeah, and, he, and again, he's taken he's ran that ball up the middle even in the NFL. He has taken some vicious hits. Uh, a big guy, he's, he's taken a lot more than your average quarterback. I mean, he's ran the ball a lot. I mean, you see him take it over even in the NFL. And and unlike, uh, you know, you see guys who run the ball like um, Kyler Murray, uh, Lamar Jackson, you don't get many direct hits on those guys. Those guys are small. They're quick. They're going to slide. They're going to go out of bounds. They're going to change. You're going to get a glancing hit. But Cam's a big old dude who wasn't scared. I mean, he was taking head on collisions with linebackers you know you saw that you know several times so I think there's a health issue there you know and the guys you know you know I don't know how much you know so you know he'd have to figure it out but I wonder how much he even wants to play football anymore it's true you know I mean you gotta gotta ponder that uh as well Cam Newton in 2010 by the way 264 carries as an Auburn Tiger 
to put that into perspective, Najee Harris last season for Alabama was the first running back, first running back, okay, since Derrick Henry in 2015 to exceed 200 carries. And that's a running back we're talking about. So you're right. It's all, it's, it's a cumulative effect on these guys and especially those that, uh, that have run the football a good bit over the period of a decade. So you're a New Orleans Saints fan. We all understand that. You got Drew Brees back for another year, man. You look at that NFC South now with the way it sets up, even with Cam out uh, at Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater going in there. Uh, that's a that's a nice, nice conference there when we talk about the quarterback position with Tom Brady stepping in in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, you look. I mean, it's always been a pretty good conference. I mean, with the – with the guys they've had, Matt Ryan, I know he gets beat up a lot, but he's a good quarterback, and obviously Drew Brees and then Cam Newton. But, yeah, you had Tom Brady in that mix, and, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, you've seen a lot of guys that have been productive, can be productive. I'm curious, most curious about Brady to see what he's got left with, the, you know, throwing the deep ball because that's what Arians does. That's They've got the guys to do – you know, they've got the guys to run deep. O.J. Howard, like we discussed last podcast, has got to be super happy to get a guy like Brady, whose you know main target for years was a guy like Gronk. But it was it's going to be interesting to see um, what they do and how that conference turns out. I mean, there's a ton of talent there, and the Buccaneers had a lot of pieces in place. Tom Brady's a smart guy; he didn't go there thinking you know it's a rebuild. They had a lot of pieces in place, a lot of really nice pieces. And um, they're going to be a, they're definitely going to be a, a team the Saints have to watch out for. Carolina, I don't think it's going to be as good as either of those. I mean, losing you know losing Luke Keekley, uh, such a you know fantastic guy, the linebacker who retired is going to turn out to be a huge loss. Um, and obviously Cam Newton, so they're going to change it up a little bit. You know, Teddy Bridgewater showed some really nice signs for the Saints this year, but you know nothing like Cam Newton couldn't change a game like Cam Newton could when he was healthy. Yeah, I guess there's there's so much that you can sort of uh, get out of even a dynamic player like Christian McCaffrey, you know. And and look, you know, I think Carolina's actually tried to upgrade some of the weapons around the quarterback position uh, here in this last stretch. I think Robbie Anderson, the former New York Jet, uh, is going to join that mix now. But um, yeah, the, you got to look at Carolina right now with a little bit more of a skeptical eye. What do you think of Todd Gurley? You think there's anything left there, you know, joining the Atlanta Falcons to go along with that playmaking mix? You know, the NFL is so quick to you can have a you know have an off year and then the next year they can really you know just sort of throw you out there. I mean, Gurley's that guy. Was it two years ago he was the MVP candidate? Or was it three yeah. years ago? Got I mean, the, the big, guy, got the huge deal. Yeah, I mean a huge deal. That, that huge deal probably was a curse. I mean, but he's been injured a lot. You know, there's talk. I've talked to people that that uh, around the SEC who believe he might have some kind of arthritis in his bones or in his hips or something. Mm-hmm. So if he's healthy, Gurley's a monster. He was a monster at Georgia. He was a monster in the NFL. I mean, I think that's a big if because no other position like the running back position does do these guys change. I think I read that. Uh, is he, is it zero running backs from his class are still with the same NFL team that drafted them? Zero out of 22. Is that right? I that would make sense. I, yeah, think, I mean, and that was in what, 2015, not a single running back is with the team that drafted them. It might've been one. I can't remember if it's one of 22 or zero of 22, or if Gurley was the last one or whatever, but I mean, 
dude, that's this they this turned so quickly. Sean Alexander was an MVP and he was out of the league, it seemed like two years later. Running backs, Chris Johnson was a two thousand guy on the cover of uh video games and he was just gone. These running backs, man, they their shelf life. That's why when they're negotiating these contracts the way they do, I, I don't have any sympathy for the owners. I'm all behind the running backs because their shelf life is very minimum. Yeah, the, the Frank Gores are few and far between, right? And look, Mark Ingram is trending toward a decade-plus career. You know, we think of Mark Ingram, I think, still in terms of it was just yesterday that he was here in Tuscaloosa and winning the Heisman Trophy. That was in 2009, man. It's 2020, and Mark isn't showing any real signs of slowing down. I think some of the things that frustrated Ingram early in his pro career with the Saints and sort of the shared situation that he encountered there, uh, you saw that tone sort of change as he moved through. I think that's going to end up being a blessing to Mark Ingram as he looks at a career that perhaps you know gets to 12, 13, maybe even 15 years for a running back, Tim. That's unheard of. He's benefited, I think, from the situation he was in in New Orleans. Absolutely. And at Bama, he's been a monster. Yeah. I mean, he's had a great NFL career, but, you know, as a Saint fan, you would watch – it's almost like that movie Varsity Blues. You'd watch him go down the field and get to the one. Drew Brees has more one-yard TD passes than anybody in the history of football. I mean, they get to the one first and goal. You know, Brees is padding those stats. So I know Mark probably had an issue with that several times, especially performances. But when you're trying, when you're down there inside the five, you're against the goal line defense. That's when you're getting your head knocked off as a running back. So they did save him. Save him some wear and tear. Not having, you know, even the split with Alvin, not being that feature back. And you saw him last year with the Ravens. Dude looks, he still looks fresh. Mark Ingram looks fresh. Obviously well conditioned. He's a monster, you know, mentally. You know, he's a, he's a he's a workhorse. So uh, I would agree with you. The stuff, yeah. that, the stuff you don't appreciate as a young man, as a middle aged man, as you get to that age in your career, you start to appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah, those checks keep coming. That's what you appreciate. And it's- Look, look, if 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 Lamar Jackson wants to take on some of that stuff against uh, defenses with his legs, that just extends Mark Ingram's career even more. In other words, whether it's with Drew Brees, whether it's with Lamar Jackson and for different reasons, because opposing defenses with Drew Brees, they have to unload that box and respect what Brees as a passer could do to you now with Lamar Jackson. Mark isn't seeing as many loaded boxes in Baltimore because those defenses have to respect the potential, the very real potential for Lamar Jackson to run the football. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You saw that last year. I mean, you know, even though, you know, his first year when he came into the NFL, they sort of threw that season in late and benched Flacco. And, man, he was running the daggone Tommy Frazier option in the NFL, basically. I mean, he was he was just oh, straight yeah. up running. Now they mixed it in last year. They did a great job, and you could tell. I'm a big fan of Lamar Jackson. I mean, I I, I see the work he does in the off season. I saw this YouTube thing on all the work he did, to his pass, and you know, I, I you know my favorite term for these guys are like dogs, and that's what Lamar is. He's a guy that just wants to work, and he wants to grind, and he wants to he wants to go play football, and you know, that's 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 my kind of guy. So he's did a lot of work. And they were a lot smarter with him running. They're going to have to be because that guy's not going to be able to run around in the National Football League. Um, eventually, someone's going to size him up, you know, and, and lay him out. We saw that with 
RG three when we thought everybody thought he was going to be able Vic. to do that. Vic, Mike Vic had his his one look, year shortened by injury, if you recall. Look, if if you can lay hands on Michael Vick, you can lay hands on yeah. anybody. That that dude was the is like Dash from the Incredibles as an adult. Yeah. Quick is still the quickest guy I think I've ever seen. So yeah, so they'll work that in. But yeah, Mark's going to reap the benefits of that. Lamar, and again, Lamar's that smart quarterback who, and you know, I you know I'm not comparing him because he's a little bit more like Kyler Murray, but. Bryce Young was that way. He would run the ball. He never took a lot of direct hits. He understood angles, body angles, when to slide, when to get out of bounds. And that's the key when you run the ball. You don't want to take a big hit. You're okay taking a shoulder pad to the thigh or getting shoved out of bounds. But you don't want to, you know, the old school chest to chest, put your helmet in his chest type of tackle. That's not something you want to you want to have to deal with. Kind of the way Sean Alexander used to play running back, you know. Um, Sean was really good about that. He caught some heat about it at times, you know, that he would step out of bounds. But uh, Sean was, I think, smarter than a lot of folks when it came down to uh, sort of avoiding those head-on collisions and the kind that can take a couple of years off the shelf life of a player at his position. Hey, Tim, before we shift gears a little bit here, uh, more and more positive vibes in relation to Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And with that, I'm going to ask you, if you're the Washington Redskins sitting there at number two overall, are you really going to stand pat with Dwayne Haskins if this thing continues to trend the way it is with Tua? I mean, are you going to do that if you're Daniel Snyder and those folks? Daniel Snyder is, but I'm not. I wouldn't. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you saw. You know, here's the thing: is like we good, fam. You know how important the quarterback position is in the National Football League. You it know is the, how, it is the position. So if I take over a team, I am drafting a damn quarterback. I get a damn quarterback every, every year, year in the I first round. Yeah. I draft every year. I'll spin the other ones out. We and the thing about it is that theory's really sound because it's all right to have two good quarterbacks. We saw the Patriots flip Jimmy G to the 49ers for a second-round pick. I mean, it's okay. Teddy Bridgewater was a backup. Look at him now. It's okay to have two quarterbacks. Brett Favre started as a backup. Those are those are trading cards if you have two guys. Look what the Cardinals just did, if you don't believe me. They drafted Josh Rosen, was a top-10-ish, turned around and drafted Kyler Murray number one, traded Rosen, got draft picks back, and then they have their quarterback. Learn from Cliff. Learn from Cliff. I never thought I'd say that. Learn from Cliff and that management. Arizona is doing a great job trading for Kenyon Drake and the stuff. You know, the, the guy, I mean, they stole, went into Texans and stuck DeAndre Hopkins in their purse and stole him and took him back to Arizona. It was a complete robbery, that trade they had to get DeAndre Hopkins. They are doing a great job out there. And I think the NFL, if I'm the Redskins, get a quarterback. You haven't, when you had Joe Theismann, you weren't bad. When you've had good quarterbacks, Doug Williams, you've had moments, but you're not. If you don't think Haskins is your guy, go get your guy. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I know that. I, I wouldn't sit there and draft a fourth, first round defensive lineman in a row. I can tell you that much. They had you know, Lamar, I, they had Montez Sweat, and they had Jonathan Allen. Are they going to go? Is that? I think that's four for four, isn't it? Pretty much. And and I look Chase Young, I get it, man. That's oh, an attractive yeah. piece to add to that to that uh, to that defense. And I get that Ron Rivera is a defensive guy as your new head coach, but uh, absolutely, it starts and 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 a lot of times ends for teams at the quarterback position. And, and he, look, 
Maybe maybe Dwayne Haskins is going to be that guy, Tim. But, yeah, if, uh, he is, if he is, then I don't do it. But still, I do you think – don't know that yet. That's, you don't that's, know if Dwayne Haskins is that dude they, right now, they, right? They, they should have – well, usually if you don't know if he's the dude, he's not the dude. You know, <laughs> usually yeah. you, know, you know the guy early on. So um, they took a pretty high pick on Haskins. Uh, me personally, I still think Tua – uh, is a very rare player in the NFL from a passing standpoint in a passing league. So I would, it'd be hard for me to press him, pass him up. And even then, if I do, and I've got, I mean, they still got the Trent Williams situation with offensive tackle who didn't play last year. They don't trade him, they don't cut him. They got so many issues there. I would, I would try to have as many chips as I could, um, you know, to make trades and to make moves and try to get those pieces I need. Look, I want my Jags to come up from nine to get him. That's what I want. And my Jags have the draft picks they, for yeah, the next yeah. two years to be able to do it. But I, my fear is, is that the Jags have already started more of a tank for Trevor than a tank for Tua in selling off so many of these pieces and these players here in the last year or so that uh, it's probably going to be Gardner Minshew mania for at least uh, at least half a season until our Jags are, say, like, one and seven, two and six, and then that'll that'll keep, dissipate pretty quickly. I keep waiting for the Lions to trade that pick too. Surely they're not going to take the Ohio State back, although he's a great player. But they need so many things. Yeah, and they've got such a valuable pick at four. I don't know how they're just going to sit idle there and just take a cornerback. So I thought Washington would make a move as well. I don't think though they're not at four. Detroit's at three, right? Detroit's at three, and so yeah, there's so still there's still time. That's a valuable pick to be trying to work something out for the Chargers if they want to, uh, or you know even a Bears. I mean, if they want to move around, there's there that's a valuable pick. But if they just sit there and take a DB. They are literally just saying, "All right, we're done." Speaking so, of personnel acquisitions, Tim, uh, a sudden shift of topics here. I know not the smoothest of segues, but. Uh, Alabama men's basketball, we've heard from Nate Oates here in the last few days, uh, sort of telling us what we've anticipated, that the continued restructuring of this roster is going to continue uh, into this offseason. Uh, and one of those key pieces might very well be Josh Primo, a 6'6 combo guard from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, who on Friday is expected anyway to make his commitment to either Alabama or Creighton. Those seem or those are the two finalists for Josh Primo's services. Uh, what are you hearing here as we, we lead up to that anticipated announcement? You know, back in February, we put a put crystal balls in for uh, Primo to Alabama. I think Alabama's done a really good job there. I know Creighton, you know, you know, the Alabama fans, it might not be a big deal. That's a pretty good school with a pretty good reputation, you know, who was battling. The thing about Primo, I still feel really good about Alabama's chances right now heading into this decision. I think Hodgkin's done a great job recruiting him. Um, from a player standpoint, I spent the week talking to guys going back way back to my uh, AAU uh, national recruiting days when I was on the other side of the fence there at Rivals, and um, they love this guy. There's a lot, a lot of positive stuff. He just – he didn't really fly under the radar, but as a kid who should have been in 2022, very similar to Kyra, jumping up to this class, moving up in this class, there just wasn't a lot of talk. And, you know, <clears throat> when you're out evaluating players and you have to do rankings, you're really focused on that class. 
you don't you you notice the underclass mode. You're focused on that class because your time is limited. I think that sort of benefited Freema, Freema, Primo. I talked to Evan Daniel, who's our national uh, expert here at 24/7 Sports. He said he's got a legitimate shot to finish somewhere in the top 20. Uh, long kid, nice shooter, a good athlete. You know, just a, just a lot of things to like and. Uh, somebody that can come in instantly and give an impact and, you know, maybe change that culture a little bit more. You know, the first really big, big signee for Oates can, you know, mix things up. Yeah. And uh, even more impressive and something to consider when talking about the ceiling for Josh Primo. This is a guy who reclassified to the class of 2020. He was originally uh, set to come out with the class of 2021. So, uh, the latest in what seems like uh, a growing trend, Tim, when it comes to reclassification among top basketball prospects. We saw it just a couple of years ago with Kyra Lewis, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they're doing it. <clears throat> I was lucky to get through my junior year, let alone have a chance to, <laughs> to skip my senior year. But again, these guys, when they're that talented and they're that good, I think they start looking at that possibility as a freshman. And we've seen that before. We also saw it. With JT Daniels, the quarterback that went to USC that year, <clears throat> he just popped up and changed grades. So you see Jake that. Bentley a, did it at South Carolina. I, a, I mean, that that's that takes me down another path that we'll get into another time. But I, I've I've made the the comment in the last six months or so. We're going to start seeing more and more reclassification in football too, with an emphasis maybe on the on the quarterback position because we've just outlined a couple of situations there, Tim, in which we've seen it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of – I'd want to be in that situation if I was the kid or if I was a parent. I'd want those options because it does help you <clears throat> to have options. If you don't love what's available in the 2020 class or, or, or you want to go back to the you know 2021 class, you can do that. There's a, there's a ton of options there, flexibility in what you can and can't do. It's a great position to be in. Um, also there's a rush, you know, I think there's a rush to get to the, you know, possibly to the NBA and all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. some of these guys, Kyra wouldn't have benefited from another, you know, year of high school. You know, he, he stepped in at Alabama and proved he was already a college ready guard. So, um, it's going to be interesting if we have guys skipping and bouncing around and doing all that stuff. Now, football is a little different animal. You can be, you can be a lot different physically at 16 than you are at 18. So, you know, you had to do that junior year at 16, you skip that senior year. Um, I mean, I don't know about football. I think that's going to be a little bit more based on, you know, how big Tougher. it is. How, yeah. how strong. And mentally, football is a mental. Not that basketball is not a mental sport, but it's a different kind of mental because nobody's elbow, you know, punching you in the face. You With know, seven on seven, though, and these private coaches, Tim, it just seems like these quarterbacks, and you said it, I mean, it, it ultimately goes back to are you physically equipped to handle it? It seems like these guys earlier and earlier are ready to go, right? Oh yeah, I mean there <clears throat> there's a lot. I mean you know like my you know my my son plays travel baseball. When you look at their seasons, and I think that's comparable seven on seven travel baseball, AAU basketball. It's not like when you and I played where we a eighteen games in the JV and we're done and we have a couple summer games and and so on. I mean these guys are playing 75 100 games a year now when you when you really look at it between all this stuff. So guys doing 7 on 7 AAU basketball from an experience standpoint, they're already more experienced than most of these, you know, than they were, you know, 20 years ago. No doubt about it. Uh, it's kind of where it's it's gotten to uh, with the year-round approach that so many kids take not just to to football but individualization on uh 
on on the uh, on the other levels of, of sports that we know. Uh, Tim, let's uh, let's get to our centerpiece topic for this edition of T Watts and TR on the Built by Bama online podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about three star recruits in the Nick Saban era, and I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn, Tim, that with all the great signing classes with all the number one ranked signing classes by my count in 14 halls under Nick Saban there have been 89 three stars that have joined the Alabama program since 2007 in that first abbreviated class alone Tim there were 15 so a lot of that came maybe more so early on in his tenure but it isn't as if Alabama throughout this decade and a half or so has gone without three stars. It's been a ton of fours and fives, as we know, a ton of fours, especially, uh, but more than a few fives since 2007. Um, Let's get into some three stars, man, Uh, because I think people are going to be surprised to sort of learn uh, the the big impact that, that those players have had. And it, I guess also speaks to the, the angle of player development that probably doesn't get talked about enough. All right. You ready to do it? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's, Hey, let's start in 2007 because you know, when you talk about the 2009 national championship team, uh, it's not all that difficult to kind of point at a couple of these guys and see where they made a huge impact. And I'll start with Kareem Jackson because, you know, he wasn't a guy is is I think we both recall that was a holdover from the Mike Shula uh, era. That was a guy that in a very short period of time that Nick Saban and that staff in, in early 2007 were able to go out, I believe the prep school route actually, uh, and get Kareem Jackson in the boat and a guy that was just a, a huge contributor over the three seasons that followed. Yeah, I mean, his film was really good when you saw him. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you can't cover everybody. And I think Alabama arrived. Lance Thompson was here early. And um, I think you looked at a lot of these guys that that they came in looking for those. Now, I think they immediately went after some of those Marquise Mays and uh, um, Josh Chapman, you know, Chavis Chavis, uh, Williams. Those guys were committed to other schools. But Kareem, I remember, sort of seemed like the first big – uh, name guy, and he was from that military academy, not Hargrave, but uh, Fork Union. He was from yep. Fork Union Military. So, I mean, he's back then, that's when, that's when the military academies would have 30 good kids on each team. So, really good player. You knew right away, early impact guy. Um, obviously, still in the NFL. I mean, he's had a great career. He's really good evaluation, but I, that was a guy. Not many people. I don't think he had much of an offer list either. So Alabama jumped in there, sort of seen like, oh, they're just trying to fill a class. But he was definitely one of the best players, um, best players in the class. Eight three stars in the year that followed in 2008. Robert Lester, a teammate of Julio Jones at Foley High School. Look, I think a lot of people looked at Robert Lester as maybe a throw in to go along with Julio. Uh, but in an era-defining class like that 2008 group was, Robert Lester, you had Terrence Cody in that class coming from the junior college ranks. Brad Smelly locally, a tight end, joined that group. But, man, Lester and Cody, you talk about instrumental in helping form the foundation of what would become a dynasty 
big time pickups in 08 with a couple of three stars there. Cody was just so, I mean, it was hard because you watched his film and you knew he was productive. And then you'd have a, you know, a coach, you know, you know his Juco coach is like, if we can get him down to 370, I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what in the hell do you mean get him down to 370? You know, if we can get him down to 370, you know, we're trying to get him to his playing weight. Um, you saw how he could be, you know, at the end of his career, he had changed his body a lot. When he was with the Ravens, he was actually a lot leaner, a lot better in shape than he was. Um, Smelly certainly was underappreciated. Lester was weird, not weird, but that eval went a little bit longer because you're right. A lot of people thought, hey, he's trying to get Julio and, he, you know, Julio didn't commit early, which we knew, you know, we knew he wasn't going to commit early. But I think, you know, people wanted them to to set the tone for the class and end up being Burton Scott that set the tone for the class in the summer. So Julio was out there. There's a million. You remember that there's a every day, every day. Julio's going to Oklahoma. He's going to LSU. He's going to somewhere else other than Alabama. So there's a million rumors. But there was that national televised game. Do you remember that on ESPN? I don't know if 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 they were playing Julio Foley were playing Prattville, maybe Hoover, somebody like that, and yeah. he had a couple of big time plays, uh, had an interception, and the offers really started to flow in, including Alabama, who jumped in there on him. Yeah, that was a. Uh, it turned out to be a a very productive pickup when you talk about a ball hawking type safety because uh, you go back to 2010. No, Robert Lester in 2010 had eight picks um, to lead that defense. I mean, we we remember 2010 more so for guys like Drake Kirkpatrick uh, stepping in there at corner, Mark Barron stepping in at safety. But Robert Lester had eight picks in 2010, a very productive player uh, he turned out to be for that Alabama defense. Now, we get into 2009, how about a couple of offensive guards that came along? as three stars in that class, Chance Warmack and Anthony Steen. Uh, we talk about that 2012 team, and specifically that offensive line is probably being the best offensive line that Nick Saban has had uh, in his time at Alabama. And, you know, Steen and Chance Warmack were, were big parts of that. Oh, yeah, Chance. I mean, he was one of my favorite offensive players at Alabama on the line. I mean, he's just really good, such a – High drive pick, top 10 pick. Steen was a mean little nasty dude. Not a little dude, obviously. He was a he was a mean player. He had that sort of sort of not quite as bad as Landon Dickerson, and nobody really is as bad as Landon with those late hits. But um, uh, Steen would get in you. He would he was very physical. Loved had that, that mean nasty streak you had you liked from him. Chance just an absolute steal. I mean he was a just a he was a great football player at Alabama. He's really high draft choice. Did I, didn't I read? Didn't Charlie Potter just report he signed with the team recently? Yes, he uh, signed with the Seahawks. Yeah, I so mean, he and Fluke, he and Fluke are back together, I believe. Yeah, his NFL career was was you know he had some injuries, took a year off. It sounds like, and he's back. But uh, just a, you know, Chance is probably I don't know if he we have to keep going through this list, but he's probably one of my favorite. Three stars, you know, if you said choose the best three star out of all of them, Chance is probably right up there for me. Yeah, ultimately went in the top ten of the NFL draft, I believe it was, right? Yeah. Um, he, to the Philadelphia Eagles, so uh, he worked out pretty well as a three, no doubt. Let's uh, let's talk about Vinny Sinceri a couple of years later. That was an interesting guy. Um, very productive high school player. Finished his career here locally at Northridge High School in Tuscaloosa. I guess it was more about Tim 
where did he fit in a defense? He played some linebacker. He projected more as a safety at Alabama. You wondered about him making that transition. Heck, he ended up playing some star position uh, in Tuscaloosa. So, uh, you know, a guy that, unfortunately, his career was sort of cut short by injury and then the decision to go ahead and try to make the jump to the NFL. But Vinny back now with his dad and his brother as members of the the Alabama staff. Was it was it mostly about where Vinny Sinceri fit from a position standpoint? Yeah, it was for me. I saw him jumping. I saw him running. He was a good athlete. I mean, he was he you know, he had all the intangibles straight off the field coaches kids. So we knew he had all of that, but he was an athlete. I mean, if you've seen him, if you saw him at Bama, if you even saw him with the NFL, he was he was with the Saints a little bit. If you saw him, I mean, the guy was an athlete, but he wasn't ideally sized for safety position. Sort of, sort of had a linebacker mentality. I'm physically better for a safety, but not quite probably what you look for in like a cover safety, more of an in-the-box safety. But not surprisingly, he'd knock your head off. He was real smart. He understood angles well. And he was the first guy ever said he'll be worth his scholarship on special teams alone. Yeah. And uh, one of the first, and he certainly, if he never made a tackle on defense, I thought his impact there was pretty outstanding as well. So definitely one of those guys, you know, he was there with uh, Trey DePriest, you know, and, and of course it's Sal's son. So there was a lot of storylines around Vinny. Yeah. And then you go through 2012, 13, and 14, and I'd say you did pretty well with three stars. You had Dion Ballou bouncing back from junior college. He was a three-star coming out of, I believe, Deschler High School back in 2010. Had to go the JC route, bounced back in 2012. How about Eddie Jackson as a three-star in 2013? And, you know, Eddie, it took a little while. He, he started out at corner at Alabama. Uh, as we recall, he had his ups and downs for sure. But that move to safety was lifetime-defining for him, not just football-defining, but lifetime-defining for Eddie Jackson and Bradley Bozeman in that 2013 group worked out, I'd say, okay, as a, as an offensive lineman signing. Yeah. You know, with Eddie, the thing was nobody really talked about him as a junior. And, you know, you see those December guys, Alabama seems to find a lot of those guys in December. Well, I think Eddie missed his junior year, maybe with an injury. Um, nobody was really talking about him at the time. Senior film went out, Alabama got on him. Senior film looked great. Phenomenal athlete, could play both ways. There was talk that he could actually be a wide receiver. Um, so I think it was lack of exposure for Eddie. With Bozeman, just nobody thought he was very good. Um, he was a center. Nobody really talked about him. You know, he was friends with uh, Reuben Foster, one of the craziest friendships. Uh, you know, <laughs> that, that, thinking of those stories, I'd love to hear a lot of those stories. But Bradley was sort of a throw-in. Nobody really thought as much about him as they should. And then he comes to Alabama does a great job. You know, that's the thing with a center. You know, he's a starter in the National Football League at center. A lot of those guys have a similar story to Bradley Bozeman, where not highly recruited, where does he play, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, he's a high, you know, he's got a high football IQ. He's a work ethic guy, and he's a starter in the, in the NFL, which is what Bosley's been. So, yeah, when you're talking about two guys, I mean, Eddie Jackson, I don't know if he's still the highest paid safety, but at one point last year, he's the highest paid safety in the NFL. Yeah, so, he, 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 his 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 latest deal did put him in that spot, and uh, you know, not bad as you said. Multiple injuries during his career at Alabama underwent a position change. Still went in the fourth round 
of the 2017 NFL draft of the Chicago Bears, but that second deal, you're right. Uh, Eddie Jackson sort of struck gold there. Uh, you know, a lot of punters and kickers and specialists in that three-star range. Uh, but if there was a guy that Alabama has signed out of that group that probably should have been a five-star, even as a specialist, Tim, it was J.K. Scott in 2014. I mean, has Nick Saban ever looked sadder to lose a player than J.K. Scott? I mean, I've never really had a I've never really thought of Nick Saban as a sentimental guy. But when he hugged him, I was like, I think that's pretty much not even for show. I think he's going to miss him. You know, think about J.K. Scott. I was speaking to the Mobile Red Elephant Club and uh, two years ago and they brought in the uh, senior bowl players. I didn't realize the dig the dude is so tall. He's six. I mean, I mean, I knew he was a tall guy based you know seeing him on a football field but man up up close when you look at him i mean he's as tall as michael jordan was i mean that is a tall punter um you know just an amazing guy definitely you know if, you know you're right if you put a special teams guy i would i would say a kicker or punter in there he's he's got to be the he's best star man i mean he's yeah the i mean quiet in the recruiting process never wanted it's the only punter i've ever heard of that didn't want to talk at all um very strictly business, didn't want to brag about himself, just straight up, you know, straight up a, a gangster with that football on his foot. Yeah, you had a nice stretch in 13 and 14 because you signed Cole Mazza, a three-star snapper who stepped right in and handled that for you for four years. Uh, and then the next year you bring in J.K. Scott, who certainly uh, was ultra impactful as a punter. I would say, you know, you don't say this about many punters, but there are a couple games you can go back and look at and say with a pretty good bit of certainty that J.K. Scott was the deciding factor for Alabama. I think Arkansas in 2014 would certainly qualify as that. And, you know, I'm sure there are uh, at least one or two more instances where uh, he was absolutely uh, the edge that Alabama needed to, to get a W. Let's get into 2015 and kind of along the lines of Bradley Bozeman, I guess you could say Matt Womack, right? Uh, some of the re- things that you detailed with, with Bradley Bozeman came into play with Matt Womack, not to the extent that Bradley Bozeman maybe was as impactful during his time at Alabama, but Matt Womack ended up being an every game starter in 2017 for a national championship team. And then a year later, uh, you know, a couple of guys that you absolutely knocked it out of the park with when you talk about Josh Jacobs at the running back position and then Irv Smith Jr. as a tight end. Yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, we've discussed Josh's story 50 times. It's still one of my favorite. Pruitt's in Oklahoma. Jeremy Pruitt, tight assistant at the times in Oklahoma, seeing some guy. He's in the habit of asking coaches who he meets, who's the best player in the area, which is a really smart thing to do that – Coaches kept mentioning Josh Jacobs still. He went by the school, talked to the coach, talked to the kid, got the film, did the old <clears throat> Pruitt humble routine with the uh, Burton. I don't know if this guy's any good, but his film looks pretty good to me. And Burton Burns, you know, heads to Oklahoma, you know, lands this guy, you know, other teams trying to get in late. Just an absolute steal. I mean, his film was fantastic. I don't know. I've never found out the reason, the reason why he wasn't more highly recruited. That film was available. That wasn't something that – that was hard to come by. The coaches there were, you know, pushing him and all that stuff. Just a complete steal. Irv Smith, I mean, <clears throat> you know, what, you know, had a great career at Alabama. He's another guy, fit all the little pieces. Now with the 
tight end position, you know, at the at the time of Irv, we were seeing the big tight ends. We were seeing the OJ Howards and the six five, six six, you know, the 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 Mr. Olympics looking guys, the big strong guys and all that. So Irv probably suffered a little bit at six foot two, six foot three, but he had great stock, he had great bloodlines. Um and, you know, obviously had a great career. I'd like to mention we sort of skimmed over him, but Keaton Anderson, to me, he's always Special been, teams guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, that guy, he came in, there wasn't any, there wasn't really any, you know, fanfare about him. But, I mean, he came in and had a great career. You know, we go back to what I said, you know, talking about Vinny, but his impact just on special teams was unbelievable. So Yeah, you know. and a lot of these guys that we're talking about, you're right. Uh, Vinny Sanceri we talked about. Eddie Jackson ended up being a hell of a punt returner before his last injury uh, cut his 2016 season short. What about Christian Jones? I mean, we had, uh, Christian Jones was yeah. a three-star in 2011. You talk about impacting the kick kick return game and special teams in general. Uh, he certainly fits that bill. A- absolutely. Um, Keaton Anderson and a lot of these guys, uh, it seems like more than just a few of them uh, were especially big. Uh, in the kicking game, Tim. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, you think about that with the – there's so many little areas you can help a team. Everybody can't score – you know, everybody can't score Derrick Henry touchdowns or <clears throat> Devonta Smith touchdowns and all that stuff. But special teams at Alabama has always been huge. I mean, you know, some of the biggest plays in uh, memory for me uh, for Alabama have been on special teams. Rubens hit, you know, Dylan, Dylan – uh, not Dylan, but Mac Jones is hit. We've seen so many huge plays, punt returns, kickoff returns. We saw several this year with uh, Cahoe blocking, you know, blocking punts. So I mean, yeah. those guys coming in, and uh, and 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 also when you've got a guy, because they're going to put their best players on the field. When you've got a guy like Keaton Anderson, you don't have to worry about putting the five-star defensive back out there too. So Keaton no, Anderson, hey. Yeah, you get a guy that's going to go in and do his job and do his role because they're going to put the best guy available out there. Yeah, and Adam Griffith was one of those three-star kickers. Unfortunately, he gets unfairly tagged for the kick six. Um, But the onside kick against Clemson in the 2016 college football playoff national championship game that Marlon Humphrey was able to Hall in right in front of Dabo Sweeney. I, I don't know if there was a bigger, if there's been a bigger special teams play that went nice in it went in Alabama's favor than that one. I mean that was that was incredibly huge, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep, yep. and that's that's another one of those. What about Slade Bolden? Uh, and I don't want to skip over. We'll get back to a couple of these guys, but I think Slade Bolden can be one of those guys too. He was just as recent as last season in that. Um, yes, he is a position player. He had a, a wildcat package there on offense, played some receiver, but you know, he's another one of those guys you see on just about every kick kicking game, uh, uh, unit there. Yeah. I mean, Slade's very versatile. You know, when you saw him, he was that guy trying to figure out what he was going to do in high school. You know, we, you know, we heard, you know, court, you know, slot receiver, possibly defensive back. Uh, everyone talked about what a what a good smart football player he was. A lot of intangibles and everything else. He had good quickness. He had good stats. They still, to me, they still got to sort of figure out a position on how to use him. Yeah. Um, I would think this year, if he can get in the wide receiver rotation as a slot receiver, I think he could have an impact. And that you know that opportunity hasn't really been there. You know we you know we talk about 
with all the receivers Alabama had, they had enough that it was hard to get on the field if you were anybody but those main core guys. So this year with spots opening up, um, obviously you've got him in the you know got him in the Wildcats. So I'd be curious to see Slade in the slot. Yeah, and and if there's a three-star quarterback signee of the Nick Saban era, it's Mac Jones, hands down, right? I mean, uh, just on what we've seen uh, so far from Mac and with the potential uh, that's still there for him uh, in this offense with this team, uh, Mac Jones as the other quarterback signee, Tim, in 2017. I think you got to respect Mac because he's the guy that's like, Jalen, no problem. Tua, no problem. I mean, this guy, yeah. this guy just showed up behind them both. Um, and you know, as we've discussed even before the two injury, the thing about Mac Jones is those guys in that locker room love him. Uh, you see it. He's got the locker room. He's a good guy. He's a good teammate. And it just, you know, he comes out and he's talented as well. You know, he's made some really big plays, uh, threw some nice deep balls and think that. I think that's what he does best is throw the ball deep. I think he struggled more with medium. Um, medium passes than he did anything else but yeah i mean you signed talking about a three-star a backup signed in case something happens to two or jalen and then something happens to him and he turns into a five-star in a lot of ways because i mean they don't win the michigan game without mac jones yeah throws for over yeah. 660 yards in his final two starts of the 2019 season yeah so, yeah, so the three-star turned into a five-star yeah, and, and and more than a few of these guys have done that. Chance Warmack, uh, we talked about Eddie Jackson certainly would qualify. J.K. Scott, Terrence Cody, again, it, they they come in as threes, but when you talk about the impact and production Alabama was able to get out of a lot of these guys, uh, it was certainly more along the lines of a high four uh, into the five star range. You know the, now, I think if you're looking for a common theme with these guys like Vinny and Bozeman and J.K. and Mack. These guys just didn't give a crap. These guys came in. They weren't scared of competition um, at no part of the process. When you talk to them, these were all everybody you're mentioning, Chance, everybody you're mentioning were extremely confident young guys in the recruiting process. There wasn't there was no there wasn't. I'm not saying they were cocky, but they were not humble. They weren't, I'm coming there to be a backup. I'm glad to be at Alabama. Every one of those guys, Anthony Steen, all of them came to play. So I think that goes a lot to just how mentally tough these guys were, which is something you can't really evaluate. No, you can't. And you're right. None of these guys stepped on campus sort of conceding that they weren't going to be in the middle of competitions for a couple of years. But at the same time, they were also very understanding of what they were walking into. In other words, they were more likely to trust the process as we hear Nick Saban sort of plea with, with younger players over and over again, than maybe some of the other guys that, you know, based on, you know, their backgrounds and where they came from and sort of the star status that they arrived with. Uh, the shock, I guess, is what I'm saying, Tim, that initial shock that all these guys encounter. I don't think it, it hit them like it hit some of these other guys. No, I agree. I think that they came in um, probably knowing it was a little bit of an uphill battle and came in sort of with the chip on their shoulder. I know Bozeman had a chip on his shoulder. Uh, Anthony Steen's another one. Um, I think they came in knowing. I mean, look, you say that, and it, you know, it's like this at other major universities, but Alabama's not for everybody. 
No. You got to you got to come in knowing you got to compete. And again, it's like that at Ohio State. It's like that at Clemson now. It's like that at other places. But if you go to those places, you got to be mentally tough. I mean, otherwise, you're definitely hitting the transfer portal. That's going to make it the easiest thing, or you know, the easiest thing here. So that's you know, you notice all these guys you're mentioning. They didn't worry about the recruiting rankings. Not a, not a one of them ever mentioned the recruiting rankings to me, and really every one of them could mention them even to this day. Um, I think they just had a grit and determination when they were coming in there, you know, a little bit pissed off, which I think was natural. They probably were, they probably were angry when they played football at six and seven. You know, they just had they just had that mental toughness in them. Yeah, um, respectful but ready. A lot of these I mean, guys. Like, look, Mac Jones, you know, this people. We're instantly talking, you know, like he's such a humble. Mac Jones is not humble. He's a confident joker. Mm-hmm. He threw that touchdown pass at Michigan. We turned around and we got the Michael Jordan who done it. You know, I don't know what I'm doing thing. That guy's got some confidence in him. Don't let the, don't let the Opie Taylor, you know, blonde hair, big grand fool you. That kid, that kid thinks he can play and he can. Yeah, no doubt about it. We still have some to be determines when it comes to three stars here. Most recently, Will Riker. Uh, the kicker from Hoover, as a part of the 2019 class, had the injury last year, multiple injuries uh, that basically cost him most of his true freshman season. And then for 2020 coming in here, and again, we're talking about guys that, you know, either in the composite 247 rankings or the 247 sports rankings themselves uh qualify as three stars there's a difference with a lot of these guys or some of these guys right tim you might be a four star in the composite you might be a three um based on 24 7 sports rankings and it can work the other way so you know it's not all encompassing with some of these guys there's some of these guys that that are sort of between rankings whether it's three or fours but the 2020 group damian george kyle edwards caden clark um these are guys we're going to find out about, hopefully, anyway, here real soon. Yeah, I think, well, you know, and that you, you brought up a good point. Like, everybody, you know, the composite had Josh Jacobs as a three-star. We, 24-7 Sports, had him as a four-star. Right. Um, that was the same for Eddie Jackson back at Rivals. We had him as a four-star. Others had him a three-star. So, um, collectively, you, you know, to use this list, we just sort of went with the guys that were three-stars. But when you look at a guy like Damian George – Three-star all-around, rated in like the high 700s uh, heading into the Under Armour game. And he goes head-to-head with Jordan Birch, who's a top 10 at the time, defensive end. I forget where he ended up, went to South Carolina. Uh, Damien did more than held his own. He's a guy you are gonna you need to watch. There was a lot of talk back in the summer because he was a teammate of Zach Evans, and everybody thought this was the old calf and the cow. They were going to take Damien to get Zach because they were close friends. That was never the case. Alabama loved Damien George, thought he could play. Kid improved from his freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior, junior to senior. He improved every year in high school. Big kid. He reminds me a lot of Orlando Brown. He's not going to run you, you know, 5'3". He's not going to go out and look beautiful at the NFL combine. He's going to look good on a football field. He's a big guy, long arms, moves his feet, hard to get around. He's going to be strong as a bull. Um, Definitely a good signing. And to me, you know, I like Caden Clark. You know, he's injured now, obviously. Um, so he's got to, you know, he's got to, you know, fight back from that. But I like Caden. I thought he was versatile. Um, I thought he was a block first guy that could still still catch. I think he's exactly what Alabama wanted in a tight end. And I think they would have liked to add a pure receiver. And, you know, as we've discussed, these guys that, you know, the Alabama fans, the high ranked five star guys like, you know, Darnell Washington, who could end up at another position or um, 
the kid that went to LSU, those guys, those aren't even, those aren't blocking tight ends regardless if they end up on offense. Those pure, pure receivers lined up sort of like Jimmy Graham on the outside. So Caden brought that inline guy that could block a little bit. Obviously, he's going to have to recover from his knee injury. It seems to be going well from the people I talk to. And Caden's got a little of that. A little of that, little of that nasty in him too. I think a little of that mm-hmm. determination that we talked about when I look back at Bradley, when I look back at Chance, when I look back at Anthony, some of those guys. Caden's got that in him as well. You know, when you talk about the tight end position in general, if we're talking true tight ends, not sort of athletic freaks like we saw in this most recent class with a couple of those guys, they typically fall in this three-star range. Tim, look at Alabama throughout the years. Chris Underwood was a two-star in 2007. And they actually got some nice production from Chris Underwood. Brad Smelly was a three. Uh, Miller Forstall, depending on how you looked at it, between composite and individual outlets, was a three. Irv Smith Jr. was a three. Um, a lot of these guys coming out of the high school ranks at that position, this is this is pretty much what it is for them, right? <clears throat> there's Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, the thing funny with me for the stars is like, if you really simplify this, there's only 32 five stars, so they don't count their anomalies. So then you get to the four stars, which are three, four hundred, whatever they are. And then there's a 1,200 three stars. A three star player can be an excellent football player, can be a great football player, can go to the National Football League, can can be drafted, can get big contracts and all that kind of stuff. I think somewhere along the way, the three star became boring i guess i think it's probably because we rarely give a two-star to anybody so i understand that but there's so much talent in those three-star ranks you know it a lot of the guys that ended up at four stars who went to alabama were three stars for majority of their career so they went to the camp they went to an all-star game they had senior film and they got blown up so the difference between a lot of these guys isn't as significant as it seems you know when you're you know when you're looking at a recruiting ranking you know what three stars are they're a damn good cheeseburger, man, and yep. you can yeah. never get enough of a damn good cheeseburger. They're not the the bone-in ribeye, okay? They're not the lobster tail, um, but you, you you can uh you can you can sustain on some some really good cheeseburgers. You know, sometimes sometimes a cheeseburger turns out better than uh than a fillet or a ribeye, and so. Uh, I guess I'm getting hungry is what I'm saying at this point. And with that, Tim, we'll transition to the roundtable mailbag where we have actually a culinary related question in our mailbag on this edition of T Watts and TR on the Built by Bama online podcast. Um, And let's start with that. Let's start right there from Bama man. For JC in the mailbag, his question, favorite upscale restaurant, Tim, in either Birmingham or Tuscaloosa, the kind of place you would go to celebrate an anniversary or special occasion. What do you got for us? Maybe maybe you can handle Birmingham. I'll handle Tuscaloosa or we can we can move into both areas. God, I you know, I don't know if we celebrate in Birmingham. <laughs> we go to Birmingham. I can't think of a. Uh, I do like a place called the Southern that's down there by uh, the uh, Alabama Theater in that little uh-huh. that mall type area. I do like that place. They've got one in Nashville. I took Heather there when we went to see. I think Dave Chappelle when he came to town. Nice. Um, we went there and ate. I wouldn't call it a special occasion. Usually, if it's a special occasion, we're out of town if it's that special. Um, 
uh, you know, the place I've never been, I've still never been to Highland Bar and Grill, which is definitely, I've got to go to, that's the one place I haven't been that I need to go to. It's really good, and it certainly qualifies for that, you know, upscale special occasion uh, box that you want to check. And, and look, the wife and I, we went one time, and we actually sat at the bar. We're that bar couple now as we approach and get into our 50s uh, that you see at, at different restaurants. And, and it was really good. Don't get me wrong. I'll tell you a place in Birmingham. I don't know if it qualifies as upscale, but if you were going to tell me today I, I could go to one place and have a meal, El Barrio in downtown oh, Birmingham. Oh, oh man. Geez. We've eaten there. Fantastic. What did you think? I, oh, thought, I think it's great, dude. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, they had the uh, – what are they – what kind of drinks do they have up on the chalkboard or those? Well, they got the margaritas. Yeah, I margaritas. Mean. Yes, they had a bunch of those. The girls we were with loved it. Heather Heather loved it. Food was just – was incredible. Fun it was, place. It's it was, bustling. It's happening. You yeah. better get there early unless you don't mind waiting. And even yeah, if you yeah, do have yeah. to wait, the bar scene's not too bad right there. No, it's, uh, the, it was happening. It's a really nice place. That's a good call. Shrimp quesadilla, dude. That's what I. That's kind of my go-to. But you're you're not gonna go with anything wrong. As far as Tuscaloosa, it kind of depends on what you want. Um, it has changed immensely over the last 15 to 20 years on the dining scene. Uh, essentially, in the early aughts of this century, you were looking at Olive Garden. Maybe the Red Lobster on McFarland. Evangeline's has been here forever as a as a upscale sort of option. We used to have Cozy's that was very popular from that perspective. Right now, I would say it's more along the lines of Chuck's Fish, especially if you like sushi like we do. You can go upstairs at Chuck's there in downtown Tuscaloosa and Brandon, and those folks are going to take great care of you. But now we've got places like Five here. We've got... Um, our Davidson's, I can certainly recommend 301 Bistro if you want to get out of downtown. Uh, River is right there on the edge of downtown on the Black Warrior River. It, it certainly qualifies. Southern Ale House across the river is a favorite of mine. I mean, I can go on and on. But I tend to, I tend to even when I start out, Tim, thinking upper scale, you know, that type of place for a date night. I still, a lot of times, we fall to sort of that tier below it. Not quite foo-foo, you know, and, and upscale. Like a place like an Avenue Pub or El Barrio. You know, El Barrio's not upscale. But if we're just talking about a damn good meal and a good time, you know, that's typically the kind of places we land in. I don't know about you guys. No, I agree. I don't, I'm not a big, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll wear a coat and a tie every now and then, especially like in New Orleans at a, commander's palace or somewhere of that but even then i mean the the upscale as far as the dress code dress codes change so much i don't think i've been in a restaurant can't think of the last time i've been in a restaurant where everybody was actually dressed upscale i mean there always yeah. seems to be somebody in there and just a you know business casual or casual so i think that's changed it a little bit but for me i agree with you i don't want to be uptight i don't want to be uncomfortable el barrio um, type atmosphere. That's that sort of had that New Orleans feel, that New York City bar feel, you know. And that that's what it goes back to for the wife and I. If if, if you don't have sort of a bar set up and it's just going to be us, that kind of takes you out of the mix. And pretty much every place we've mentioned, uh, that is the case. So if you are that bar couple like us, uh, you're going to be okay. Ronnie Bismuth here in the roundtable mailbag, Tim. 
any thoughts on if Kyra Lewis slash John Petty come back next year, as we know here in the last couple of days, uh, it is uh, Nate Oates let us know that both those guys are going to test the NBA draft waters. Uh, and also any chance at signing a decent big man in the late period. What do you think, Tim? Uh, it sounds like Nate Oates is planning as if we've seen the last of Kyra and Petty in Alabama uniforms. What's your sort of feeling on that? Yeah, I think Kyra might be ready to go. I mean, I don't have an ironclad on that. I mean, I don't know what he wants. You know, look, just looking at the mock drafts, and again, it's early. I think Kyra, again, having skipped a year, I think it's going to take some catch up for him. I think he's an NBA player. I don't know if he's going to be a high pick. I certainly don't think so right now. Um, but he's my kind of guard. So I think the NBA are going to look at him, uh, probably playing a little bit of catch up with him and uh, trying to eval him. I mean, the guy skipped a grade. He, he missed the whole grade. So, I mean, there's some people, you know, Alabama's not a high-profile team either. So I think there's some people looking at him. I think Petty will be back. I mean, I could be wrong there. I think Petty could be back out of the two. Kyra seems to project better for the NBA, NBA right now than uh, Petty. Yeah, it looks like Kyra has at least a chance to get into the first round and get into that guaranteed money. Not so much with Petty, and as you know, because you've been around this for so long, as you said earlier, at the foundational levels of hoops, AAU, high school ball, individual situations come into play, right? And with professional basketball being what it is and the opportunity to go ahead and start getting paid to play basketball, that always factors into this. And these are things that we don't have the the benefit of knowing a great deal about we might know some things on the surface level with each individual and what they have to consider personally when making these decisions but uh you know that that obviously comes into play too with the with the various outlets as far as a decent big man that Alabama might be able to bring in here late you know it seems like it's been more about guards and wing types and that's really the identity of Nate Oates' teams, right? Perimeter guys, score the basketball. Yes, there's a need for big guys. I think Alabama has a need, but I don't know if the numbers are going to play out in a way. we got to see how some of this, this goes with the NBA draft and some some other potential attrition, uh, yeah. that it's going to work that way, Tim. I haven't seen them go just traditional big guy that much. I know they offer the IMG kid, Darius Miles. You remember the old Darius Miles back in the day, that kid from St. Louis, he was a he was a basketball player. So he's but this guy's more of a wing, similar to Josh Primo. They did offer some uh I can't remember his name, a twenty twenty one center that could reclassify to twenty twenty Frank Anselm, I think yeah. his name. So I don't know a whole lot about him. So I think they could, but I think shooters and all that are the most important. Yeah, I think you you tell me, I mean, Nate Oates views a post differently than maybe a lot of folks do. You know, you talk to Nate Oates about a five guy, he's thinking more along the lines of an Alex Reese that can face up the basket, but also probably rebound at a greater rate than what we've seen from Alex to this point. You know, a JV and Davis um, is even kind of pushing it because he really wants every one of these guys on the floor, Tim, to be a threat um, shooting the basketball. So, it's a different dynamic. I think James Rojas, you know, is is still in that mix and could considered to be kind of a post. The junior college transfer from last year who blew his knee out or injured his knee in the preseason. We didn't get to see him 
2020. So that's that's something you got to consider there too. Even a Jawan Gary type who's six seven, six eight, you know, those are those are more along the lines of maybe big guys uh, that aren't traditional in ways that uh, that you're going to see uh, more so in this style of play. Uh, Tim, as we get out of here, Abrell. Bama 5818 wants to know, have you been able to find any hand sanitizer? And if we have, could we send her some? I don't know. Have you, what, has there been a search for you guys where the hand sanitizer is concerned, Tim? No, we bought a small little pocket, right? Look, my wife's always been a hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer gal, mainly because we're at the ballparks all the time. We'd have the younger kids with us. You can't get up and wash their hands every time they touch some of the ballpark. So we always had, she always had the sanitizer hooked to the backpack, sanit, back, back bag. There was always hand sanitizer around. So we've always, they have, I'm, I probably wasn't as good as they were, but they've always had hand sanitizer. So we just added a little bit. But even then, when it was early on, we were discussing it like, you know, if this happens, they'll probably quarantine us to some degree. And we'll have, we main thing we wanted was soap. So, we didn't yeah. get a lot of hand sanitizer. We got a lot of soap because um, no matter what, we'll use the soap. But I did not want, like those idiots in Tennessee, I did not want 18,000 tubs of hand sanitizer around the Watts household. It. Yeah. No, absolutely did not think that that – I never thought to hoard hand sanitizer nor toilet paper. You're what a D-bag. You're a D-bag, by the way, if you do that, just in case you didn't know. All right. Who had as much time – they went around the whole state of Tennessee and bought all they had sanitizer. Yeah. My you know, God. and here's the thing, like you Good sort of pointed out there. If you're following the stay home directive, you, you should have soap. You know, you should have soap uh, that, that you're you're able to, to keep your hands clean with. If you're if you're around the house, um, and I will say when I've gotten out the grocery store, the pharmacy um, those places are doing a pretty good job of keeping the hand sanitizer and the wipes and those things out and about. But then, you know, you start to worry about, okay, I put my hands on the hand sanitizer. Is it sanitized? You know, you can go crazy with this stuff. Just wash your hands when you get the opportunity, folks, I guess is what you know we're what? saying. You know what? Let me tell you something. Corona, no Corona. Wash your damn hands. I know. Why, why do we have to have a pandemic you know, I mean, to convince you, people to, you know, wash you know, their filthy hands? Wash your damn hands, man. <laughs> and you know what? I'm about to start bowing to people and quit handshaking because I'm not sure who I can trust. <laughs> I'm about to just go. The hey, Asians had it right all along. They had Tim. it right. They just bow their head, move on, very polite. <laughs> you know, because I get one more guy elbow bumps me, I'm going to fist fight him. Yeah. Look, either we're it. touching or we're not because that yeah. thing, you know. Need of the groin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trade you. Trade you. Yeah. <laughs> Elbow bump for a knee to the. Yeah. All righty. Let's end on that. Note. All right. Yeah. We probably ought to get out of here, Tim. Hey, always good stuff. As <laughs> always, a lot of fun. And uh, look forward to keeping everybody around with us at BamaOnline.com and on that round table. And if you haven't already, I don't know if there's ever. We've done this for a long time, Tim. But I don't think there's ever been a better time to join us at BamaOnline.com than there is right now. I mean, what else do you got to do, right? We have some crazy discussions, good discussions, including about the virus. We've had thread every day. It's been really good. The uh, just the off-topic TV show thread's been great. You know, for me, I've seen a lot of recommendations. The Tiger King is on tap. So next, I expect to watch it and finish it. Yeah, review and next, next week's week. podcast, we will be blowing it up. 
it may just be Tiger King exclusive next week. You never know. But certainly, we still have. The Kings talk about the Tiger King. Absolutely. We still have plenty of Alabama coverage for you, by the way. I mean, you have that Josh Primo announcement. Draft. draft. Henry Rudd, wide receiver one. Get at my level, people. (laughs) I hear you. I'm there with you. Take him at your own risk. I love Judy, who's the number two wide receiver, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm I'm with you on HR3. No doubt about that. But uh, certainly, we hope you'll join us there at BamaOnline.com as well. That's going to do it. Tim, stay safe. Wash your damn hands. Okay. Wash your damn hands. There he goes. Tim Watts, Travis Ryer. Absolutely thanking you for joining us here on the Built by Bama Online podcast.